Hello, hello, welcome to episode 31 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. And we're happy to be here today. I feel like everything sounds normal right now, but for some reason, in our headphones, we sound like Daft Punk. Yeah, <laughs> like this is just robots. I feel like we're going to be a hit on the European music charts <laughs> with the, how much electronic is going on right it's now. It's really true, and we're not we're not really um, technologically advanced enough to fix it. So yeah, I don't know how to get this off of here, but actually, we sound like uh, is it what was that one band? Daft. Starship something. Starship, like from the Mannequin song. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that. We could song. talk about yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Don't even get me started. On nothing's gonna stop us now. That is it's one of the best songs. It's easily, easily the best song of the eighties. The only reason besides Hollywood that makes the Mannequin movies worth watching. Um, you know, I watched Mannequin not that long ago. I, I'll stand by it. Yeah, you see Mannequin 2 on the move. No, see, I don't I don't like to see twos of many things. If you thought one didn't make any sense, two is even more crazy and ridiculous. Mm. With the three German dudes doing horrible accents, walking around in spandex for the whole episode. Oh, now I might have to yeah, actually no. check it out. That sounds okay. Guy with a four-foot hair growing out of his mole that's the bad guy. It's great. Oh. It is fabulous. That's some classic. And it's got Jonathan Silverman, which, you know. It's well, er- I, don't, I, don't, it's I love a, him. Yeah, it's the early 90s, so he's all over it. When I lived in L.A., I met him, and uh, he was a really nice guy. He he came in this flower shop I worked in, and I was like, oh, that guy looks familiar. Like, how do I know him? So I was, like, looking at him, and then I was like, oh, are you an actor? Like, is that why I recognize you? He's like, yes. He's like, thank you for saying that. He's like, because my whole life is just people being like, are you my cousin? Did you go to this school? <laughs> Did you work here? He's like, because they recognize me, but they don't know why. And you never want to be like, I'm in the films. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, I've, I've got a couple Hollywood credits to my name, everybody. But, yeah, but yeah. we're like, we don't care. We know you're from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> um, anyway, so I want to talk about a movie I saw last week. It made me cry. It made me feel my heart expanded. Everything was wonderful. What's that? Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Well, that's interesting. I heard about that. I haven't seen it yet, though. So, Mr. Rogers was a really big deal in my life growing up. Really? Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes some of, like, my daily actions, like, you know, not, not to really sound stupid, but being considerate or open-minded, my love of cardigans, which I think well, you know is real. I do. I've, I've seen your wide collection of cardigans. That's not so. just a librarian thing, but I really think it comes from watching the show and his message. So, you know, the... I don't think anyone doesn't know who Mr. Rogers is, um, but this documentary, it kind of just, you know, shows how this Presbyterian minister who lived in Pittsburgh, Fred Rogers, just wound up creating one of the most popular and critically acclaimed children's television shows of all times. Um, let's just do a little bit of the clip because I think it just kind of really early on describes what the film's got going on. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell me? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star, yet... It worked. So that was just really, really lovely. It's in theaters now. I recommend people go and check that out. 
Yeah, bring make sure to wear your best cardigan. You know, have some <laughs> have some shoes to switch into when you go in. Which you can at the movie theater because no matter what, it is always freezing. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I wish it was actually. Last time I was in the movie theater for Ocean's Eight, I felt like I was like sweating the oh, entire yeah, time. Like for well, of course it could be because it's like a hundred degrees and around here. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. It's seeping through. I gotta admit, I didn't watch much Mister Rogers as a kid. But I feel like it was just like as like you know ubiquitous enough. Or even though I didn't watch it, I feel like I knew a bunch of the gimmicks on the show. Like I knew what they did. And oh gotta, yeah, of and course. you got to respect when you get like a a format and they stick to it. It was always walking in the door, saying hi to everybody. He did these things where he would really slow television down, whereas kids' things as they started to come out, everything's really fast and hyper and colorful and flashy. And sometimes he'd take for like five minutes and silently stand there and like feed his fish. Yeah, like it's a little. It was a good idea, and the kids could use a little bit more of it. There's too much of a sponge bobification on kids' shows. Yeah, it's just, just run and stimpy. Loud noises <laughs> and just people <laughs> being a aggressive and crazy and it just gets them all wound up and stuff yeah no mr rogers was really unique so after watching that it just kind of made me think of some of my favorite documentaries um which are just amazing like i don't i don't know do people always go see documentaries do they think maybe they'll be boring i mean don't tell me when to learn jacob that's what i say don't be teaching me nothing i don't want to be learning can't be holding me back on my learning (laughs) yeah so but they're great it depends on the subject matter, I think, oh. for some people, because like okay. there can be boring ones. But like I agree with you. Like I like documentaries. I like seeing them. Like if there's a good one that pops up, um, either movies, Netflix, or on DVD, I like to watch the good ones. If it's a, I feel like a lot of it. times too, it can be about stuff that I'm not even interested in. Um, but then I'm like, oh, that was fascinating. So let's talk about some. Oh, and and I, before I just want to let you know, I don't know if I told you. Um, but we're gonna have a guest right at the end of the show, Brian Glenowski. Yeah. He does nonfiction collection development for the library, so he's like a nonfiction guru. And he was thinking every now and then he'd pop on and talk about a really awesome nonfiction book that he recently read that people should check out. Awesome. I like that. I'm so more... we'll see him stroll on in whenever he, he doth please to. Whenever he moseys on down here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm very curious when we get into our lists here because I have a feeling mine's are going to be a lot different than yours. I Just... assume yours are all about wrestlers. Is not, that Not all of them. Not, not all, all of them. them. But I think okay. mine's are more like... Like, there's a lot of sports ones in my list here, and I know you definitely are not a sports documentary yeah, no, I don't, fan. I don't so. have any sports documentaries. So, yeah, Everybody might want to just listen harder when I list mine. There mine we, are awesome. Except for Natalie Portman, of course, who will oh, love some of my choices. I never should have brought that up. Well, you know you shouldn't have because now I know it. Also, Jacob, it's really important because I'm drinking this fruit smoothie. Can mm-hmm. you let me know if I get fruit seeds in my teeth? Sure. I, I don't just know why you're putting seeds in a smoothie. That could be part of your problem with the taste. It's in the fruit, Jacob. The f- seeds are in the fruit. I didn't go and sprinkle seeds well, in the smoothie. Well, you know, I'm just saying, like, wh- I don't know. Maybe because if- the most fruit you take in is in that five-hour energy, but that's not usually how fruit works. Usually comes seeds, stems, skins. Was it you that was telling Holy me about the, uh, the fact that bananas don't taste like bananas? Mm. It was that artificial banana used to yeah, taste like an original banana that no longer exists. Yeah, that's or, what it is. It's like, I remember you told, see, your facts are actually coming into play here. Ta-da. But yeah, I'm like, you don't even know if any of those flavors are what they taste like. I assume that this is what berries These aren't artificially like. flavored. These are literal strawberries. You know what? We're mm-hmm. going to move on because mm-hmm. this is too throw, much for you to handle right now. pomegranate <laughs> in there. I don't want to overwhelm you. Anyway, so the first documentary I want to talk about is maybe my favorite. But I will say what's crazy about it is that they're making the documentary into a feature film. 
I just saw the trailer like okay. three days ago. And I'm like, wait, what? Why can't people just watch the documentary? I mean, hopefully the film will be cool. But the documentary is called Marwin Call. Marwin? Like in... So M-A-R-W-E-N-C-O-L. Oh, okay. Marwin Call. I thought and we were going to get into a video game talk here. I was getting excited. No. So, okay, it's about this guy. And after being beaten into a brain-damaging coma by five dudes outside of a bar, awesome. like just randomly... Mark ends up building a one-sixth scale World War II era town in his backyard, and he populates the town, which he calls Marwin Call, with dolls that represent his friends and family. And then he creates lifelike photographs detailing the town's like relationships and dramas. And like, I know that sounds like crazy. It sounds creepy, is it's, what it sounds like. It does sound creepy, but so like playing in the town and photographing like helps him recover like his hand-eye coordination and kind of deal with like the physic wounds of the attack um and then at one point his photographs are discovered by a prestigious new york art gallery and they set up an art show and then his like homemade therapy is deemed art and it kind of forces him to choose between like the safety of his fantasy life and marwin call that he's created and then the real world which he's totally avoided since the attack now i will just say i got this documentary because i was like this is totally nutty and it's gonna be good but okay the realism and the feeling like it's amazing it's really wonderful and engaging but the craziest part is the artwork the pictures that he takes of these dolls that he sets up is phenomenal I'm going to have to bring one up on the computer to show you. They look awesome. I was like, he is like an amazing photographer. They look totally real. He spends so much time setting them up. And then everything he does with them, like the doll that kind of represents him, will be like captured and the Nazis will be like beating him up. And the damage that they do to the doll is like the physical damage that Marx had done to him in real life. So then his doll will have scars, but he gets to like be a hero and kind of like defeat the Nazis. It's really good. Huh. I'm telling you, man, like this is an awesome thing to check out. Um, and like I said, they're making it into a movie where Steve Carell plays Steve, the main guy. Steve Carell already made a movie with that weird concept in it and it was an awful movie but this sounds like it's going to be much better than that because like just description of it it sounds very interesting like i'm trying to like picture it in my head i mean you and it's hard to because yeah, you're just like oh this sounds like someone who's not stable who's like playing with dolls in their backyard but it's it's become such therapy for him and like i've said this way an art gallery picked it up because they are good oh it's legitimately just your description of it that's legitimately art like i don't know that's not even in in contention there about it's not for sure it yeah. is because that sounds kind of awesome actually it, it, it's super awesome i like wow. recommend it to everyone that i can so there's the first one so why don't you go and get something because i really want to be able to get through some of the other ones that i have here <clears throat> all right so the next one i'm going to go with is a musical documentary okay it's called anvil the story of anvil have you ever seen this movie <laughs> no don't okay. don't really know much about anvil okay so you don't really it need. is a documentary it is a documentary okay. yeah it's not a mockumentary so anvil was a little known um 80s hair metal band from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, were they any good? You know, no. Debatable. Really. <laughs> okay, just no. I, or I, just no. They're kind of a crude metal band. So, like, they had the technical expertise, but their songs were just kind of like gross to listen to. So, you're like, eh, I don't really care. Okay. But it's, they were a pretty big influence. Like, they have some pretty big name bands in this movie. Like, Metallica's in there. Um, Megadeth is in there. And they're talking about how they actually used this band as kind of a partial influence and they enjoyed watching them on stage 
and part of it is actually that the, they think that part of the reason this band did get more attention is because they are Canadian. So, like, a lot of the American metal bands in the movie basically point out the fact that if the band was American, they probably would have actually been famous. Hmm. Instead of now, We don't trust metal from Canada? No, apparently we don't. No. We don't respect that. I mean, that. Okay. can you name one metal band from Canada? I mean, I wouldn't even know where any of the metal bands are from. They're from America. Or, okay, or but from Europe. That's basically guess, where the two places they come from. Um, but now it shows where these guys' lives are, like, you know, now. Uh, the one guy's, they're, you know, they have their own houses, but they're, like, delivering lunch um they work for like school cafeteria delivering okay so how they didn't make it and what they're doing now right and then they decide they want to try to make a comeback so they set up this big european tour they get like all these promises from promoters about these awesome shows and then they like go out and tour and find out that you know maybe they're not really that big of a deal anymore and it's about these guys dealing with the fact that they've always considered themselves to be a pretty famous famous band because you know in their canadian town they're not yeah, and they're not. Cause okay. They're, in their Canadian town, people are like, hey, it's the guys. How are you doing sure. there, buddy? Because it's Canada. You know what you should watch? I'm just going to throw out there. I'm not going to talk about right now, maybe in a later episode, but the documentary Searching for Sugar Man, which is about a guy who put an album out that went nowhere. He's 0% famous in the U.S., worked a regular job, but then comes to find out that this album went to South Africa and like spread around, and he's like, e enormous like their number one like favorite star everything so like i said we'll talk about that in another episode it's really good but i feel like if you liked that oh yeah it's it's like the opposite of that and then there's also like the you know there's comedy in there just dealing with these guys and these guys are so canadian it it's like (laughs) it just bugs you you're like oh my god it'll never bug me i love it they're so polite sometimes and then they just get these moments of like extreme anger out of nowhere you're like whoa sit down there guy we're, <laughs> we're not used to seeing that yeah so you know go check it out anvil story of anvil pretty okay. uh, pretty good flick that sounds super cool okay so another one i know you'll want to check out this is called the imposter now brace yourself because this story is super bananas so it starts with the disappearance of nicholas barclay he's a 13 year old boy from san antonio texas and he goes missing in june of 1994 so no one knows what happened to him. So now we're going to fast forward four years later. Okay, be 17. 17. And his family receives a phone call from Spain. And the voice on the phone claims that their son has been found in Spain. So the local embassy then arranges to reunite Nicholas with his family. And then this is where stuff gets a little cray-cray. Okay, it takes a real unusual turn. Um, it's like when the sister kind of goes to pick him up. Which she does. She's like, okay, my brother. Um, it is a it is definitely a different boy. Um, he so she's like, oh, he's he's been like so traumatized, and he looks different through age. It's why you know things are strange, considering that when he went missing, he had blonde hair and blue eyes, and this dude has uh, dark hair and brown eyes, and mm. speaks with a French accent, and is 23 years old <laughs> so you know m- minor technicalities so like he's that. obviously like a con man but like the craziest part is that they like take him back into the family and just kind of so you're i mean i don't even know where to go but you are you will sit here and watch this thing and the whole time you will just audibly be like what that is horrifying like man. what so it i don't know if like maybe the the underlining theme is that like how innocent and naive love can be like or there's also like hints that maybe 
they definitely know it's not their son because maybe they actually know what sinister thing happened to the son, but they don't want to say it. I don't know. It's mm. totally bananas. They have the guy who did the the impostering is in the documentary like talking and explaining everything, and he is something special. So definitely <laughs> recommend it. Go get it. It's at the library. Whenever I'm in that room and people are anywhere near documentaries, I just literally hand it to strangers. And I'm like, please go home and watch this. That is very interesting. Yeah, like, no, I'm, it's awesome. <laughs> what a weird concept you're throwing out today. You got a guy doing stop motion or stop art. Now you got a French dude oh, I have impersonating like, a dead kid. I have so many weird documentaries. I mean, I put a couple more normal ones in but I don't know if like next week we should do another documentary one or save it for later down the road it's, but I have so many I, I'm obsessed with documentaries it's so weird that I'm the straight man when it comes yeah, to documentary yeah. it's usually the other way around <laughs> alright what what do you have alright my next one is going to be a Oscar winner actually okay OJ Made in America five part 10 hour documentary on OJ Simpson and the OJ Simpson trial in the early I want to watch it so bad. It I is. felt like I chose between that one and then the the drama one, the crime story, oh, the people Sarah versus OJ. One. Yeah, you, and I watched that one. You chose incorrectly. I thought I loved that though. I mean, I'm not saying that the people versus OJ isn't entertaining and fun because I'm sure it is. I've seen the first episode. It seemed good. I just, you know, didn't watch any more of it. But I've heard this is just <clears throat> phenomenal. So yeah, this one it's is worth 10 hours of my life. Yes. Um, because the, the trial is not the entire movie. The trial, they doesn't start till like, I think the second or third episode, the rest mm -hmm. of that's all set up. You know, you know, Buffalo gets a big shout out in there for, woo, obvious, woo, yeah, great. for obvious reasons. That's why we want to be mentioned associated with murder. Well, what do you, <laughs> gonna do um but like you definitely learn more about oj like his upbringing like did you know he was like poor kid like a juvenile delinquent when he was a young kid no i don't think Th then so. went to be a golden boy and stuff when he was in college and it was all all a front even his own friends are coming out and saying like yeah that was totally a lie the entire time he was being all happy and smiley i'm like that's not really who hmm. oj was when you got him like one-on-one -on -one and stuff so it digs into like his history, his um, little bit into his football career, and then of course you know they get to the the peace day resistance, yeah. into the whole murder trial. Ten hours is necessary though to really tell the story. Oh, it flies by because okay. like the the whole time they're just going. You're, it's going to be especially with our age because I was a kid when that happened, you know. So I I remember it happening and I remember it being a big deal. I remember where I was when the verdict came down, and how mad all of my teachers were in the lunchroom. Like walking around just just seething when he got found not guilty. Yeah, I mean that, that was one. like such a big deal. That was like a real split mm -hmm. in communities. So all yeah. right, I mean but sometimes I think I've left the OJ story behind. But if you're telling me I need to go in it, for one more, yeah, it's you, you think you know you know what's gonna go down. You know you know where it's at now. But it's still so so interesting to watch about how it's almost it was a fascinating. It's so trial. obvious that he's guilty, yeah. but like the way that they were able to to spin it and the way they were able to get everybody's focus off it kind of an idea about where we are now in the country. I had watched something that had really explained that a lot of jurors were like, yeah, like we could tell he was probably guilty, but oh, they have was, you know, after Rodney King and things like that, it was like, didn't care. It was like, forget you. Yeah, they have some of them in the movie that are okay. just like, oh yeah, we totally, like if I could go back or some people that are just so steadfast, are like, yeah, I wouldn't change it. I don't, I would have stood on the same thing. It's like, yeah. what are you talking about? But well, it's definitely worth going to check out. All right, cool. Um, so let's see the next one. I want to do this one. All right, I'll mention this one quick because it's another art one, and it's called Art and Craft, and it is about Mark Landis, 
and he has been called one of the most prolific art forgers in U.S. history. Nice. His body of work spans like 30 years, covering a wide range of painting styles like um, Picasso, uh, a lot of like 15th century icons, even like Walt Disney. So he makes copies of these paintings. They are spot on. I mean, he could fetch like crazy amounts of money on the open market, but he isn't in it for the money. So what this dude does, he paints a picture, it is identical, and then he poses as like a philanthropic donor or like the grieving executor of a family's will, and he gives away all of this work to, you know, institutions all across the U.S., and then he just likes that they like hang it up in museums Mm -hmm. as like, oh, we got this new Picasso or this... But it's not. It's just his forgery. So he's like not technically committing a crime because he's not selling it. But this registrar ends up spending decades like chasing him to kind of like expose him. Um, It's it is awesome. This guy is like so tiny and unassuming, but like wickedly talented. Like you think of an artist and you're like, oh, you paint this way. But he can do all of them. Hmm. He can paint like every different style. And then he dupes people who are looking at this with a fine tooth comb, like the best of the best. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is an original until they find out there's one in Europe and like there's like the same painting all over. So it's definitely one of the most unique deceptions I've ever seen. And it's worth checking out. So is it like a detective documentary? Like they're like going after this guy or does a dude like interviewing? During no, it the dude's just- in it. He's being interviewed. We watch him paint because it's like I said, it's not technically a crime. I mean, he's fooling people, but it's not illegal to like fool someone. They should be able to know. So it's your job to pick up on that kind of stuff. He's not selling it to you. So it's not like something he is not making money off it, but it's really cool. There's a lot of really good art ones. I know I'm not going to mention any more this episode, but some really like fascinating stuff. So you go give one before I can start getting into my depressing ones. (laughs) All right. I am going to go with Icarus last year's Oscar-winning documentary. Darn it, I was going to grab that, too, and I haven't seen it yet. Oh, yeah. Tell me all about it, Chris. It is about uh, doping in sports by the Russian government. State-sponsored doping and, um, you know, corruption by Russia that you thought was over in the Cold War, but it's not. Mm -hmm. They still do it, and they get popped for it all the time. Did that win? Yeah, it did. Oh, it did win. Yeah, it did okay. win best uh, best documentary. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just basically it takes a look at state sponsored doping, its history in Russia, uh, where it's at today. Um, it's a big surprise here: Russia has a tendency to cheat at sporting events internationally. They've been wow. caught numerous times at it. They still do it. Um, if you ask me, the World Cup's looking a little fishy with the draw that they got and Uh-oh. the fact that uh, Jacob's on to you. I'm just saying, man, if they win today, like, you know, they really should not beat the team they're playing. But if hmm. they if they end up winning, it's going to look a little weird. You can let me know. Well, and I'm not going to watch it because it's the World Cup. Then I guess we'll never know. Yeah, it's but, a lifelong mystery. Well, okay. But, yeah, um, it's just about what go, takes a deep look at the state-sponsored doping, the way it works, the way the international community looks at it, but how they really can't do anything about it because, you know, you can't prove a polite person's doped until after the event, and then yeah. it's too late. You can't take away victories. Cause but they do. Like, they took away the... Yeah, but it's a discussion of like in American sports with like college athletes when if you get caught taking money, they quote unquote take your championship away. Yeah. But it's like we still won the championship, man. Like you could say that we didn't win it like but 10 years did. ago, okay. but everybody's like we won it. Everybody remembers us winning it. So it does, uh, you know, it's a dive and like it's looking corruption in sports kind of as a little bit of how it works for like worldwide kind of thing. Like 
it's just a really good, really good movie. Kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to check that out. That looked really good. It, it pars really nicely with uh, an episode of Real Sports this week where they talk about how uh, Russian athletes who, uh, you know, complain about doping are turning up dead under weird circumstances in Russia. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, they got a whole bunch of examples of it. So stay out of Russia, everybody. It's you not, know, I watch, not safe over there. I watch the Americans, and I'm like, man, they'll do a lot for Mother Russia in this fictional TV show, but I think yes. it was based F- on Fiction, yeah. sure. <laughs> okay. So the next one... Although a friend of mine is like, I was telling her, um, because I watched this documentary and I called her one day and was like, you have to watch it. And I told her I was going to recommend it on the podcast. And she was like, how dare you? Why would you tell anyone to watch this? Because it's soul crushing. So for real, it is called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. Oh, geez. This is the kind of documentary that is way better to watch without too much background. Um and even though what I'm going to say sounds like a lot, it's just not when you watch it. But in 2001, 28-year-old Dr. Andrew Begbie is found dead in a park in Pennsylvania, and they found out that he was shot by his ex-girlfriend, who then fled to Canada, where she was able to walk free on bail. And at this point, she is pregnant with Andrew's child. So his like enraged parents are campaigning to gain custody of this child and to convict their son's killer. And the the documentary starts by this filmmaker who was best friends with Andrew growing up. So he takes like home movies and he's kind of driving across the country and making all of these different stops at people who loved Andrew. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about him and describing him because what he's trying to do is create something for you know Andrew's son in the future so that you know he can discover who his dad was <sighs> so much more happens you will feel this film like in your in your core it is so affecting and i can say this and this is not hyperbole at all this is a fact i have never cried harder at anything that i have ever watched really Ever. It, I mean, it's not like that true crime that you're like, I want more. Give me more episodes. It ends and you're like, I'm on, I'm in the fetal position on the floor. Um, just I remember after I watched it, at the, my um, Andrew at the time before we were married, he like called me because it was late and I picked up the phone and he was like, oh, my God, what's the matter? Like, are you because okay? I was sobbing. I could barely breathe. I couldn't even talk to him. And I was like, I just saw something that I feel changed me forever. So again, you know it's going to be sad, but it's still really worth checking out. Huh? Okay. I, I feel like I didn't sell it well. well or I mean, as my friend get... Jen says, absolutely do not watch this movie; it will ruin your life. Yeah. So there's that too. We get the uh, the two sides <laughs> yeah. of Canada apparently. The one that uh, the one with the crazy metal stars, and then the one where apparently you just give out one beaver and a little bit of maple syrup, and if you commit murder, they let you. I mean, out she of jail. didn't commit the murder there. You know, it's that they wanted her to have to be extradited back to the U.S. and. It got it got kind of complicated. Um, yeah, extra- some things changed, which you find out at the end of the documentary. But yeah, extradition extradition is a tricky it's a tricky matter, especially between yeah. countries like that. You know, they don't really like sending people over to America because you know. I mean, it's a really tough. You know, countries get to decide. I won't really comment yeah. on that. But do you do you have another one? I have a couple more, and then we should probably then save a little time for Bry Guy yeah. to talk about his nonfiction. Um, I'll go with the last one just to just to bother you. Okay. So I'm going to go with Wrestling with Shadows. There it is. The Bret Hart documentary. So Bret Hart, famous professional wrestler, um, chronicled his last year in the WWE before he jumped over to WCW at the height. All those, all those letters mean a lot to me. I know they do. Um, 
But they followed him around for a year. It was a sponsored documentary about his life. Uh, it turns out that it was the last year he was in his company, depending on who you ask. It wasn't the plan that way. Okay. And it ends up uh, documenting in great detail one of the most infamous incidents in wrestling history, which was the Montreal screw job. Okay. Um, it was an incident where you know everybody knows wrestling's predetermined. But what this was is they undetermined the predetermined like they changed the ending on the on him without having told him about it ahead of time Uh oh. basically he was jumping ship to the other company he was he refused to lose which you probably shouldn't do he was like i'm not gonna let this guy beat me because i don't like him uh the boss was like okay we won't do that vince mcmahon of course uh they get in the ring um and then all of a sudden like mid-match just a random move was put on and then Vince is just like, hey, ring the bell. And they just acted like the match was over, like under legitimate circumstances, even for wrestling. I'm trying so hard to like be like, wow, that's terrible or crazy. But I'm like, I just. It's well, you know, you're not a, you're not a sports or wrestling fan, but it's one of the most yeah. infamous moments in wrestling right. history okay. because, you I know, I'll respect it. the guy worked for him for 20 years. And it's basically a guy that you work for for 20 years that your dad worked for that, you know, basically got you to your level of fame. And it goes on two sides. It's from Hart's perspective where he's like, I'm not going to lose in Canada because I'm a Canadian legend. So, you know, the guy's a little pretentious when you hear that to begin with. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're a wrestler. You wouldn't be anything if they didn't let you win. But then it also goes from the other side of, like, you can't just say you're not going to lose in wrestling and then walk it, away as the champion from this one company to go to the other one. Sure. So it's you're just basically screwing over the other one. Plus, if you want to see uh, Vince McMahon get punched in the face. That's also a fun little part of this documentary. All right. So I'll, check I'll, it out. You know, pretty all right, famous I'll take one. it. Oh, my gosh. Look out the window. <gasps> hey. There's Brian. All right. Cool. Brian's here now. So hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm excited. I mean, we're really excited to have real professionals since we usually don't know what we're talking about, especially Jacob. Yeah, we're, we're just a bunch of amateurs <laughs> walking around here. I don't know. It's, it's oh, a fact. <laughs> so we just ended up talking about like a bunch of documentaries that we like and recommend to people. Do you have one you could just throw on that you think people should check out? Um, the last one I watched that really kind of had no, made an effect on me was um, the Amy Winehouse documentary. Oh, that was, was good. Which just called Amy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a really tragic ending, of course, but her life's a great story. The director just kind of, you know, disappears and allows you to focus just on, you know, focus on someone's life for just two hours. Yeah. Um, no, so that's really true. That's story. that's a good one. I feel like I could do a whole bunch like just music ones. Yeah. Well, the music ones are like the most prevalent of all the documentaries. So they're the ones you're going to see most often. Like, yeah. I got a couple on my list I didn't get to today. Well, maybe so. we'll just do more next week. Brian, we'll probably bother you next week to come by and do some work. (laughs) But so, yeah, since I was telling people beforehand that you are our nonfiction guru because you order um, all the things for the library, so you see more than we do. Theme song pending, of course, for the the ongoing nonfiction suggestions. Oh, that's true. We'll need like a little like, it's Brian time. Okay. (laughs) So what, what do you have to talk to people about today? What should we be reading? The book uh, I'm here to recommend is called Bad Blood, okay. and it's written by John Carreyrou, who is a Wall Street Journal reporter, and he broke the Theranos scandal. Okay, which I don't it's know if I remember what that is. In the news quite a bit. Um, Elizabeth Holmes started the company. She dropped out of Stanford at 19, and um, her dream was to start a blood testing company where 
you could do all the necessary blood tests on just a few drops of blood pricked from your finger. All of them? Aren't there like a ton of them? Right. Okay. So in, instead of the big intravenous draw, uh -huh. um, Elizabeth Holmes always said she was scared of needles when she was a kid. So this was her idea that they were going to test, do all the blood tests on only a few drops. Okay. So this is her idea right. and, at 19. And she built the company into a valuation of $9 billion. Um, she becomes a Silicon Like the company Valley. was worth $9 billion. Right. She secured hundreds of millions in investments from the venture capitalists and eventually was valued at $9 billion. And today it's valued at zero. So, okay, so she, so how did she get this money? She just didn't have to show, because she, she obviously had nothing. Well, <laughs> what's, what's really great about this book is you can learn a lot about Silicon Valley and how the whole system there works with, you know, young entrepreneurs, um, the cap, you know, venture capitalists who are looking to in, invest. And, uh, you know, you can watch clips of her on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, and you can really kind of see she has this charisma and she was able to use that. She has a great sense of salesmanship and she was able to use that to convince, you know, powerful people to get on her side. And then from there, everyone else just kind of fell in line. So it's amazing that so people are investing millions of dollars in this company without ever asking to see the product at work. Or she was like, oh, we're just in development. Right. Part of her... Okay. Part of how this worked was that she kept the technology really secretive. Even the top investors were not allowed into her labs. And <laughs> to go even further than that, um, you know, she kind of put walls up between different departments of the company so, so that no one in the company could really see the whole picture wow. of what was going on. I wonder what her end game, like, do you think she was like, I will just take this money until I can? Or do you think somewhere in her mind she was like, I'll just eventually invent this scientifically impossible Re thing? Reading the book, it really seems like she thought it was going to become a reality. Because she wanted it so and much. And she was <laughs> buying time. She was buying a little bit more time. Okay. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Oh, no, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a good book. Right. And... The story itself, it had a lot more twists and turns than what I was expecting. And, um, you know, John Carreyrou is really the, a great author to write this because he's very clear, very precise, um, and fair-minded. Mm -hmm. So when you have a story that's really stranger than fiction, it's good to have someone like that to kind of lead you through it. Okay. Yeah, and sweet. All right. I think everybody should definitely check that out. Well, thanks so much for being here, Brian. That was awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. We'll was definitely really have you back again. Cool. Okay, cool. That was great. But we're definitely out of time now. So, Jacob, do our We're always plugs. out of time do in our some part. Quick part. plugs. All right. Do it. So, everything that you hear on All Booked Up is going to be available at your local library. So, just stop on in and check it out. We can have it sent to your library if it doesn't have it location. So, you know, just get use of that request system because, you know, that's why we put it in place. 
Also, don't feel free to send any questions or comments you have to allbookedup at buffalolib.org, and we will get it on the show because you know, we love our fans. And then a couple things for both of you guys, since we talked about nonfiction and documentaries, I found a couple of facts that I thought could be made into their own films. Nice. So one is about Charles Osborne. That is an American who had hiccups for 68 years. Oh my God. Yeah, so he was born in 1894. He lived until 97 years old. He started hiccuping in 1922 while, you know, attempting to weigh a hog before slaughtering it. As one would. And he was unable to find a cure. So he continued hiccuping until February of 1990. How, how, how many times do you think his friends were just like, all right, dude, it's enough with the <laughs> hiccuping, man. Knock it. Drink some water upside down and do something, <laughs> man. Let's figure this out. I'm sure he tried so many ridiculous things. But, and then one more, because we don't think about Neil Armstrong, I feel, gets all the credit for being the first person to put their foot on the moon. But did you know that Buzz Aldrin was the first man to pee on the moon? Really? <laughs> so, huh. I did not know that. Would you watch that, Brian? Would you watch that documentary? Sure. <laughs> Buzz peeing on the moon? Was, all that, right. was that Stanley Kubrick's decision when he filmed the moon landing? Because it's not real. Oh, boy. And we're definitely out on that note. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll catch you next week. Bye.